Well, we've been, um, we've been, you know, it always fascinates me how these Bible studies just perpetuate themselves. It's almost like they have a life of their own. They just keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing, kind of like me. But uh, we've been talking about, we started off the first week, we we're going to take care of three verses. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Rejoice evermore went pretty good, but pray without seeping, ceasing has ceased to stop. So um, just to kind of catch you up, it says three on here, but I think this is four or five. It says the religion of Christ was intended to remove misery. Right, Joyce? Intended to remove misery. Right, Kim? Right, Walter? The gospel of Christ is intended to remove misery. You know, you can be in the worst part of the world, in the very worst economy, in the very worst situation, in the very worst everything, and if you know Jesus, you can have joy. You can be happy in the midst of that mess if you know Jesus because Jesus removes misery. He removes those things. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. My Lord, these are what we have when we have the Holy Spirit moving in our heart and in our life. And, and the, the religion of Christ was intended to remove misery. We are dependent on God for every good. Without Him, you can do nothing. Feel that dependence at all times, and you will always be in the spirit of prayer, and those who feel this spirit will be found in the exercise of prayer. Stay in prayer. Now, as you all know, and as we've said every week, you can't possibly constantly stay with a prayer on your lips. You just, you just can't do that. But what you can do is you can have verbalized prayers throughout the day. You can pray in a song. You can pray with, with the Spirit. You can pray in the understanding. There's lots of different ways to pray. And what I've done is I've given you four methods that you can use in order to help yourself be able to, you know, because some people say, well, I already prayed for the refrigerator and I prayed for the car and I prayed for, I prayed for everything I got here. I've, I thank the Lord for my house and for my kids and, and I was going to pray an hour and so far I've made seven minutes and I don't know what else to ask for. Well, don't ask for anything. Start off with just a, a, a prayer of adoration. This is a prayer from me to God about God. Tell God how you, you know, Lord, you're beautiful. Lord, you're, fan, you're wonderful. Lord, you're so personal. Lord, you, you, you're the lover of my life. You're the lifter of my head. Go to Psalms 18, the first five verses. You are my rock. You are my sword. You're my shield. You are a threshold in the time of struggle. You are my high tower. You are my deliverer. Begin to tell God what you think about God. The prayer of adoration is a prayer from me to God about God. The second one we talked about was a prayer of communication. And a prayer of communication is from me to God and from God to me. So a prayer of communication is where I actually have a conversation with God about some issue or, or sometimes about no issue. Sometimes just, just a, a conversation and you say, God talks to you? Sure he does. He talks to everybody. Because God talks to people in, in three modes. 
your spirit man, everyone's spirit man, the Bible says in Romans 12 that every man's got a measure of faith. Every man has enough faith to get saved. God made sure that you got enough. Nobody's born without it. Everybody's got it. If everybody didn't have it, God wouldn't be fair. Everybody's got it. And your, your spirit communicates with God in three ways. It communicates with God through communication, where you speak and, and you hear the Holy Spirit speak most of the time in your, in your spirit. You also communicate with God through intuition. You, ju you just know. You, you just know. Now, women seem to have a, a better feel of this than men. They'll say, well, I just know you've been doing something wrong. Well, how do you know? I just know. It's intuition. They all seem to have it. I don't know where they get it, but they all seem to have it. So intuition, that's another way that my spirit communicates with God. He doesn't always have to tell me don't do that. Sometimes I look at it and I say, ah, that's not the right direction. Or I, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's buying something or maybe it's looking at something or maybe it's, you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a vehicle or a, some major purchase and I look at it and say, ah, that's, that, just, that just doesn't feel right. Just doesn't feel right. What is that telling me? That's telling me that my spirit is working with intuition and the Holy Spirit is saying, ah, don't, that's not good. That's not going to work for you. And you, he don't have to tell you that. You just know it by your intuition. So it's communication, intuition, and the third one is conscience. The more sensitive your conscience, the more you hear from the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit will start telling, what did Paul say in Philippians? Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And that conscience is what helps you work out that salvation. Maybe you look at the, maybe you look in the mirror 43 times a day and the Lord says, maybe you ought to back off on that vanity just a little bit. Maybe you, maybe you put 27 selfies a day on Facebook so everybody will say, oh, you're so beautiful. <laughs> and maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, 10 would be fine, 27's in excess. You may think this is funny. I think it's funny, but you may think it's funny, but I, I love shoes. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not in touch with the feminine side of me. I just like shoes. And I've got quite a few pair. But I, have a, I, get a, I get an email two or three times a day from a shoe company called Allen Edmonds, and every time I look at them, I say, ooh, that pair looks good. That pair would be nice on my feet. And, I, and I'm not joking with you. I'm telling you the, I'm telling you the truth. I just got a pair not too long back. I've, I've worn them here several times, and, and Zach loves them. He's told me two or three times he really likes my shoes. So I got a new pair not too long back. It's a really nice pair. And not too long after that, I was looking on that website, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, that's enough shoes. <laughs> you're getting it. He told me. He said, you're getting into vanity now. You need to leave that alone. Leave that alone. So I looked at them and lusted them for a little while, but then I had to turn, I had to turn it off. <laughs> had to turn it off. So conscience, intuition, communication. These are ways we talk to God and ways God talks to us. And if nothing else throughout the day, you can have a prayer of communication with God. You can, you can speak to him. He can speak to you. Father God, I thank you that I'm your child. You are my child. You know, just you don't have to be asking for stuff. Just communicate. You know, I'm, when Kathy and I communicate, I don't always ask her for stuff except supper, five. But other than that, <laughs> you know, we communicate, we talk, and communication builds relationship. And if you communicate with God, you'll build relationship with God. You'll build a, a camaraderie. You'll, you'll increase that intuition. You know, I can, 
Uh, we've been married 44 years, and I can walk in the house now, and I can tell by the way I open the door and how it feels when she says hello, whether or not I want to go back and get in the car. I mean, I know. I got that figured out. It's, it took me a while, a lot of trial and error, but I, I figured out when it's better to come in and when it's better to go to the shop. I know those moments because we communicate, and that communication is called relationship. And so the same thing with God. It works the same way with God. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? The more you communicate with him, the more he communicates back to you, the stronger your relationship. This is the one I wanted to pause on tonight because we've talked about this one for a while, and I've been thinking about it now for about three weeks, which you should never give me three weeks to think on anything. But the prayer of intercession. Now, the prayer of intercession is a prayer from me to God for someone else. And two weeks ago, before VBS, we talked about the first part of this, and that is, can God's mind be changed? So, and we decided that God's mind can be changed because God is merciful. And because he's merciful, he's always quick to forgive. I think it was Peter, if I'm not mistaken, if I am, you can correct me. But I think it was Peter that turned to Jesus and said, how, how oft do I forgive my brother? Till seven times? And Jesus told him, till 70 times seven. And I think he said, if he turns to you in one day that many times and says, forgive me, that you should forgive him 490 times in one day. Now, I think that's excessive myself. But I think the demonstration was how much that God loves us and how he wants to forgive us, how he wants to keep us in relationship with him. And so... God's mind can be changed because mercy rejoices against judgment and God is merciful, right? God is good and his mercy endures to all generations. And so God wants to be merciful. So as God is merciful, then as we pray to God in intercession, then God's mind can be changed. Now, when we say God's mind is changed, do we, do we, it's kind of a weird concept and I've had people ask me before, well, if God is all-knowing and if God's all-sovereign and if God knows everything, then how can our praying change his mind because he, didn't he know we were going to pray and didn't he know what we were going to do? And that's, that's one of those uh, can God make a rock too big for him to pick up kind of questions. You know, that's one of those things that's it's kind, of, it's kind of a foolish question. Here's, here's the point. Here's the point. Whatsoever a man sows in this world, he'll also reap. So if, you, if you're sowing, you're going to reap if, you, if things go in a natural course. So whenever we begin to pray to God, what we're asking God to do is to intervene in the natural course and to change that course. And as we pray to the Lord, asking for his intervention, then we reach a point where his mercy causes that thing to move and, and then we've, we have successfully been an intercessor in that we have touched heaven and now God's kingdom will come and his will will be done, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying about. In this situation, we're praying not for the natural forces to continue the way they are, 
but for God to intervene in the situation and to move the natural forces and to move it into a supernatural area where God receives glory because now his kingdom has come and once his kingdom's come, then his will will be done. Y'all good with that? Is that okay? Okay, so I, I want to go into an area here that it might be a little, might be a little deep. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to try to make it as, 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 as simple as I can because if I don't, I'll get confused with it. But I studied this most of the day today, and, and I have several commentaries that backed me up on this, so, so I feel like I'm right, but I've never thought of this before. But I was, as I was praying and thinking about it today, this came to me. So, so let's, let's stick with me here for just a minute. Let's go to the, the question is, can God trust us to intercede, to carry the burden of prayer until we gain the assurance that the spiritual battle has been won? So here's the question. Can God trust us to intercede, to carry the burden of prayer until we gain the assurance that the spiritual battle have been won? So number one is things have a limit. Have you ever had your mom tell you, do it one more time? Or your dad say, touch that, touch that again. Touch it again. I told you three times, leave it, touch it again. Things have a limit. You get to the point that, that it's a breaking point and that's it. You're fixing to unleash the wrath if you touch it again, if you do it again. You know, and so things have a limit. Let's look at Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Man, that's way up in the front. There it is. Page 13. Wow. Genesis 15. And let's look at verses 13 through 16. Now, this is a time when Abraham is receiving a promise from God. He's taken some animals and he's divided them and a, a, a sleep has come upon him and a horror, the great darkness has fallen around him. And in verse 13, God's talking to Abraham and he says unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. So this is a prophecy that the children of Israel are going to be, are going to be in the land of Egypt for 400 years. So this is that prophecy right here. Also that nation, Egypt, whom they shall serve, will I judge, and afterwards they shall come out with great substance. So after 400 years, God, uh, the plagues of Egypt were enough that Pharaoh said it's enough. He, he hit his limit. He let the children of Israel go. They left out of there with all the riches of Egypt, and the Bible says they had gold in their pocket, and every one of them was well. Verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace and shall be buried in a good old age. And thou shalt, uh, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. So in the fourth generation, his children are going to return to the land of promise for the, see what that says? The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So God has a limit there's a limit for sin before the cup is full. And when the cup is full, then, that, then, then judgment comes. In this case, the cup of iniquity of the Amorites, who were the people in the land of Canaan, when that became full, which it took 430 years, when that became full, then the children of Israel went into the land 
and they drove out the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Hittites and all the other tites that were in there. They took them all out. Why? Because the cup of iniquity was full. God's judgment fell, and it was over. And, 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 and that's, that's an example of a, of a, of a, of a limit. He hit, the Amorites hit a limit, and God knew they were going to hit it. So let's look at another place. Let's go to Genesis 18, just a few pages over, and we're going to read in verse 23. <clears throat> this is a story about someone that's hit a limit, but someone intercedes to make a way of escape if the people could, you'll see as we go. This is about Sodom and Gomorrah. So the angels are headed towards Sodom, and Abraham draws near to God in verse 23, and he says, Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Perhaps there be 50 righteous within the city. Will you destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to say the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare all the place for their sakes. So the time of iniquity has risen. Their, their limit has been reached. God has come down to destroy the city. But Abraham begins to intercede. And he says, if there's 50 righteous people there, won't you spare it? And God said, I'll spare it for 50. Peradventure there be lack of the, five of the 50. Will you destroy the city for lack of five? And God said, if I find 45, I won't destroy it. And he spake unto him again and said, Peradventure there be 40 there. And he said, I won't do it for 40. And he said, O Lord, don't be angry. I will speak. Peradventure there be 30. And he says, I won't do it for 30. And he said, Behold, now I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy the city for 20's sake. And he said, O Lord, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak yet this once. Peradventure there be found 10 there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communicating with Abraham. And Abraham returned into his place. So if God could have found 10 righteous men in the entire city of Sodom, he would have spared the city and all the surrounding cities because of the intercession of Abraham. Is that, are you good? So if someone's reached a limit, we can appeal to God's mercy and possibly have that limit back down, Right? There's an, interesting, there's an interesting passage in 1 John that always interests me. It says that we can pray and we can have someone else's sins forgiven at our prayer. Jesus said to the disciples, those whose sins you retained are retained and those whose sins you release are released. So when you study that, you find out that the high priest went into the holiest of holies every year to pray for what? The sins of the people. Paul tells us in Hebrews 9 that those sins were called errors. So if you knowingly, willingly sin, if you plan it, you know you're going to do it, you knowingly, willingly prepare it, the Bible calls that a transgression. It can be a transgression of commission where you do what you know you're not supposed to do, or it can be a transgression of omission where you don't do, don't do what you know you're supposed to do. But those are called transgressions because they are planned. Eve's sin was not a transgression. 
She was deceived. Adam's sin was. He knew better. Are you with me? I can't pray and have God forgive you of something that you knowingly, willingly did. That is a transgression. That's on you. But if you sin in ignorance, like when Stephen was stoned, and the last thing Stephen said was, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Well, either he was crazy and just praying a prayer, or he knew something. I choose to think of a dying man usually, usually know something if they say something. And he knew that if he prayed for those people's sins to be forgiven because they were, beginning, they were, they were doing this in error, are you still with me? Then God would forgive it. Now, what difference does that make? Well, if you listen to what I just said, there's a limit. There's a limit. There's a limit in Fred. There, there can come a time when God turns the city over. Um, we've got some cities right now that have so sinned, become so reprobate, become so wicked, become so violent in the United States of America that then I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure... I'm not sure that unless there's five righteous men in the city, <laughs> it, can't, it can be saved because they have become so reprobate in their thoughts and they've so rejected God and they've so come against, and, and I'm not saying you shouldn't try to win them. I'm just saying that it's going to take a lot of intercession in order to move that cup of iniquity down. And so whenever we as a body pray and say, Lord God, forgive us, for violating your laws. Forgive us, O oh God, for the sins that we in this area have committed in ignorance. Whenever we pray those things and we intercede for our community, then what we do is we take the level of that cup of iniquity and we lower it a little bit by our prayers. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Right, right. So, so things have a level. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm fixing to demonstrate what you just said. Just give me, just a second. So let's look, let's look at one other place here. Let's go to Daniel. Sister Betty said that compassion. God has compassion. We have to have compassion. I, I want, I'm going to show you that in just a second. Exactly what she said. But let's go to Daniel. Let's, let's see. There he is, Daniel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Let's go to Jan Daniel chapter 5. We're talking about things having a level. So, and when that level is reached, then that cup of iniquity, then the judgment of God, then the, the movement of God, the, the power of God, those things begin to come into play. We're, I'm going to show you another place, Daniel 5. This is whenever Belshazzar took the, took the, the golden cups from out of the out of Nebuchadnezzar's, um, the things that he had taken out of the temple, and they began to drink wine out of it and to be drunk and to be make fun of the, of the very vessels of God. And there was a handwriting, that, there was a hand that showed up and the hand wrote on the wall. Do you all remember this story? The hand wrote on the wall. 
I, I love this. I love this story because it says that it says that Belshazzar's hips became loose and his knees knocked together. That's pretty scared. <laughs> his lips, his hips were loose and his knees smote against one another. So the handwriting on the wall, they called Daniel to come interpret it. And here's Daniel's interpretation, chapter 5, verse 25. And this is the meaning that was written, meanie, meanie, tinkle, you farson. This is the interpretation of the thing, meanie, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Everything has a limit. God has numbered it and finished it. Number two, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. God has measured you and you're not measuring up. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So here's another example of something having a limit. Before God's judgment begins to fall, something has a limit. So let's look one more place. Revelation chapter 10. Is this okay? Y'all still with me? All right, Revelation chapter 10. This is during the uh, tribulation period. We've, we've, we've had the rapture of the church. We've gone through the first three and a half years, 1260 days. And now the, the Antichrist is rising to power. And the, the governments are starting to change. And the mark of the beast is showing up. And, and two witnesses are showing up. And we've got a lot of cataclysmic things going on here. And we find in Revelation 10, verse 6 and 7, it says... And he swear by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that are therein, and the sea and the things that are therein, that there should be time no longer. Now, does anybody else have a different re translation? What's your say? No more delay. That, that the time delay should be no longer. That God will no longer hold back the final judgments of God. They have, they have filled up their cup of iniquity. If we look, if we look in chapter uh, 6, you find that after the first few judgments there, the first few sealed judgments, you find in verse 15 of chapter 6, you find in the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the captains, the mighty men, bondmen, free men, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountain and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who can stand? We find that. But when we come over here, to verse 9, after God's done five of the trumpet judgments, we find that, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands. They should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood. Neither repented there of their murders, neither repented of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. Do you see that men's gotten meaner? Okay, look with me one more place. Let's go over at 16. Look at verse 16. I mean, chapter 16, verse 8. Chapter 16, verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial on the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch the men of the earth with fire. And the men were scorched with a great heat and blasphemed the name of God. Verse 10, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. Yeah, sure, easy for you to say. And blasphemed the God of heaven. And so they went from saying, the great day of, of God has come and who can stand to not being repentant, to shaking their fists at God and saying it's your fault. So time delays no more. 
the cup of iniquity is filled up. The time of the Gentiles, if you go to, if you go to chapter, uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 and 2, he says, And there was given me a reed like, like a rod, and the angel said, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given to the Gentiles in the holy city, shall they tread underfoot for 42 months. So that tells us how long they have before their time has come. Their cup is completely full, 42 months. So without, without the intercession of an intercessor, without the intercession of an intercessor, when things run their own route, there comes a moment whenever God's judgment is going to take care of that. Or whenever the, the, you've sown, there comes a moment when you're going to reap. When you've sown, there comes a moment that you're going to reap. And so the job of an intercessor is to work to remove that limit or to work to release that miracle or to work to remove that sowing and reaping. That's the job of an intercessor. And like Sister Betty said, an intercessor has got to be someone who is compassionate and passionate about what they do. Intercessory prayer is not, oh Lord, move in our behalf, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Most intercessors I know spend a lot of time with their, with their nose. Who's Hallelujah. Spend a lot of time with their nose in the carpet. When God has called me to intercede for people, I know I spend a lot of my time groaning in, 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 in warfare. It's a fight. Why? Because you're, you're fighting against the very gates of hell. That cup is full. The judgment of God is coming. It's, it's, it's heading that away. And God is, God is going to, unless, unless somebody gets up there and stands in the gap and makes up the hedge, there's a train wreck coming and nobody's going to stop it. Somebody's got to get out there and, and, and get on the switch and, and fix it. But if there's not an intercessor, then the very thing, the very direction that this thing is going, it's going to go and there's not going to be any stopping it and the train wreck's going to occur. Your children have no possibility of being saved if somebody doesn't get out there and get hold of heaven for them. Somebody's got to grab hold of the horns of the altar, so to speak, and not let go until there's a miracle. That's intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is, is warfare prayer. It's, it's more than just coming down here and lifting your hands and, and just asking God. It's, it's getting in there and saying, I'm not moving. We used, to, we, used to, we used to call it praying through. I'm not leaving this prayer closet until we pray through. And if I have to be here all night, then I'll be here all night because I'm not moving. Jesus prayed all night several times. And if he's going to pray all night to get some answers, sometimes it wouldn't hurt me sometimes to wake up in the middle of the night and go find some place in prayer till I get an answer. And you say, how do you know when you get an answer? My wife, we have a, 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 a young man we know who had um, at 30, in, in his early 30s had so abused his body with chemicals that at in his early 30s, he was in a bed at one of the hospitals, and he was given no hope. 
His body was shutting down. His organs was quitting. And he had, it's because he had abused his body. And so they called us, some friends called us and said, hey, would you come down here and pray for this young man? Well, Proverbs 1 ends that when you know God and you avoid God and you continue down the path that you're chosen, then God says he won't hear your prayer unless you're praying a prayer for forgiveness or repentance, but he won't hear that prayer. So I was pretty much convinced that we can go pray, but kind of did it to himself. Ain't I holy? Feel free to call me and pray anytime you like. But we went down there to pray that God would touch this young man. And, and I'm just telling you, I'm being transparent with you. I went down there to pray, but I really didn't expect, unless he could pray and somehow ask forgiveness, which he was, he was practically comatose. He could not. And um, we got in that room. And if y'all have ever watched my wife, Kathy comes over there and she takes him by the hand and she's moving his hair and she's talking to him and I'm standing at the foot of the bed and I thought we came down here to pray. What are we doing? You know? And, and she begins to pray. Did you want to come say anything about this? I told you I was going to give you the opportunity. This is your moment. Just tell us, tell them what you were thinking. Tell them what you were, what, what was going through your mind. I told them, I told them how a lack of faith I had. Tell them what you had. Well, my first thoughts were just like his. Well, my word, he has, he has um, abused his body. But then I'm a little bit more compassionate than he is. I don't know if y'all have noticed word. that. Huh? There's Sister Betty's It word. is. And when she, when she said that, I thought about that because um, I'm a glass half full kind of girl, and I'm just sort of like, Hey, you know, if um, I was raised to where we prayed for people and we believed in prayer, we, we you know, nothing against the way I was raised because I, I, that was my foundation. But then the older I got and the wiser I got, I realized, you know, we have that authority. We can take the authority. God's given us the authority to pray and, and, and things will change. And we can declare what God says over people. And we can declare, I don't care what the doctors have said. The doctors have said, call the family in. As long as there's breath, there's hope. That's Amen. how I feel. It's like, no, uh-uh. I'm not going to say they're going to die because um, I just believe that they're going to be healed in, until they take their last breath. And then there, there's the ultimate healing. But I want to see them on this side of the earth healed. So I went in there, and I did like he said, because I just do that. <laughs> just love on people. And just, you know, nurture them. I just, you know, they say that people that are even unconscious can, can hear you and feel you and, and know. So I just wanted to know that, you know, I love you and I'm for you. And so then I just uh, started declare, declaring what God said over him. And like, you're going to live and you're not going to die. And how, and I think I, I don't even remember because he asked me to tell the story and I was like I don't remember the story I just went in and prayed but probably told him that God loved him that we loved him and that we that he was going to get up from that bed and walk and so um I just started saying what God said over him that he was healed and you know that that I spoke life into him and all that kind of stuff so is that what you want me to say yeah and good. so um and, and like, like Sister Betty said, there comes a time when you have to set aside and say, you know what, God, you were compassionate 
you were compassionate with me when I failed you because we've all failed him and I've failed him many times, but he didn't say, I'm going to throw you away and I'm not going to listen to you anymore because you have failed me. So that's kind of when, when, when I get aside the thoughts of, well, he did it to himself, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this because this is what God, God has done for me and this is what he requires of me. So then I just started praying and speaking what God said over him and told him to get up and, you know, and, and live and, and walk and that he wasn't going to die. And I just spoke, said, you know, by, by, by his stripes you're healed and declared everything that God said over him. So that's what I know to do, and that's what I did. Is that what you wanted me to say? That's good. You did good. <laughs> Give her a hand, would you? And what I wanted to say to finish up what she was saying is that I was standing at the end of the bed, and I was praying with her, not as fervently as she was praying, but I was praying with her, and all of a sudden I felt something in my spirit turn, and I opened my eyes, and I said, he's going to live. He's going to live. I knew not because I had great faith, not because I came in there expecting to see a miracle, but because of the compassion and the, the refusal of my wife to give up, to intercede, to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge, to, to curse death, to say you will live and not die, your body will come in line with the word of God, you, you will be healed because of those things she did, all of a sudden I knew that somebody had touched heaven. And that's how you know. You know. That spirit man knows when heaven's been touched. And, and I, I want to show you, um, if you, if you stay with your sheet here, at the bottom, it says, with the concept of, of time or the filling of a cup in mind, we see the importance of intercession. So intercession, intercession is the, is the removal of, the laying down, the pushing back of the judgment of God, the things that would normally go in a certain way, when we begin to intercede, we begin to move that cup level. We begin to move the things of earth. We begin to break down that seed, sowing and reaping process. We begin to cause things that are not normal to begin to occur because of the intercession that we have. And you'll know when you've touched heaven. You'll know it because heaven will touch you. You'll know it. You'll feel it. You'll experience the victory. You'll know the power has happened. You'll know the prayer wheels turned. You'll know that the devil's defeated. You'll know the moment that happened. And if you're going to intercede for somebody, you need to stay until you feel it. And if you don't feel it today, then start again in the morning until you feel it. You've got to keep pressing until you feel it. Your compassion and your passion to see God do a work has to exceed the natural limits that things would go to. <clears throat> so look, at, look with me at Rev, Revelation 5. Now, he, I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope we stay together here. Is, is everybody still with me? Have I lost anybody? Are you still with me? So, so listen, watch this and listen to this. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Revelation 5, verse 6 says, this is, this is whenever they, God holds out the book and said, who's worthy to take the book? And no one in heaven, no one in earth, no one under the earth is worthy to take the book. And in verse 6 it says, and I be, uh, verse 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of the David, hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seals. 
And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven heads, horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Listen, listen. And he came, and he took the book out of the hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having each one of them harps and golden, are you with me? Vials full of odors, which are what? Prayers of the saints. So when you begin to intercede, there begins to be an incense in heaven, odors, odors in heaven that can be captured. Jesus, Jesus came forward to take the book because of the intercession of the people that were on the earth. And as they were praying and the vials of their prayers um, full of odors, which were the prayer of saints, came to a certain place. And I don't know how God determines that place. I don't, I don't know how he does it, but he, he does it. He's the author of it, so he knows when it is. Then things begin to move. Turn with me to chapter, um, let me read this. In some measure, mysteriously, this is from, uh, this is from the book of, the, this is a comment from that particular passage from the book of Revelation by, or commentary on the book of Revelation by a guy named Boyd. It says, in some measure, mysteriously, he seems to have limited himself to the cooperation of his redeemed people. We are co-laborers with him for the consummation of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So instead of God moving sovereignly to give Jesus the book to begin the, the judgments of the earth, he coupled that with the prayers of the saints. So when the prayers of the saints reached a certain place, then the vials of golden vials of odors with the prayers of the saints appeared, and those things began to work, and God co-labored with man to send Jesus to begin to open up the seals of judgment to complete the iniquity of the Gentiles. Is that too much? I think it's pretty heavy myself. Uh, let, let's look one more place and then we're going to have to quit. Uh, chapter 8. Chapter 8. <clears throat> The seventh seal's been opened. We're fixing to do the trumpet judgments. Chapter 8, first, first verse. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them was given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which before the throne and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand and the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth and when he cast it into the earth there were voices, thunderings, lightnings and an earthquake. The prayers of the saints coupled with the incense and the censer that the, the angel was offering up when those things reached a certain level, and I don't know what that level is, but if when it reached a certain level, then the iniquity was, was, was defeated and the golden center was cast into the earth. And when it was cast in the earth, then things begin to happen on the earth. 
So when you pray, you know, when people, when people would say, hey, all you prayer warriors, I want you to pray with me. I used to think, because I'm hardcore, I used to think, why don't you pray for yourself? Why you got to ask everybody with you? Why, why, why you got to... Why do you got to put it out there like that? Oh, I need everybody to pray with me. Come on, everybody's got to pray with me. You know, prayer chain. Why, why do we got prayer chains? Well, here's why we got them. Because if I'm praying, I'm putting up incense. Right? And if Sister Betty starts praying with me, then both of us are putting up incense. Then the Gina starts praying with me, and Mike starts praying with me, and Walter starts praying with me, and and, and others of you, Nancy starts praying. Others of you, we all start praying, interceding. We're all putting up incense. And so the, the, the odors and the things going on in heaven is intensified by the number of people that are in intercessory prayer for this situation. And whenever that intensity gets to a certain point, and I don't know what the point is. I don't know how God determines it. But I know that there's a point. When he gets to that point, and those prayers are offered up upon the altar of heaven, then God begins to move and things begin to change on earth. That's the importance of an intercessor prayer, of an intercessor prayer group, of people calling you and say, will you pray? And you say, well, yeah, okay, well, Lord, do something about this, God. Amen. No, when somebody calls you to pray and they're desperate, you need to get desperate. You need to say, devil, I'm, I'm against you. We're going to stop this in the name of Jesus and begin to pray in the spirit and begin to pray with the understanding and begin to send up that incense up into heaven and an intense odor that's, that's mixed with the prayers of the saints and placed upon the altar of incense and God begins to move. That's the importance of an intercessor. So... In closing, since I'm, I knew I was going to... The prayers of the people are about to have a direct effect of what happens of earth. Note that God is some, some sense stores up all our prayers. Although the Lord may not answer all our prayers immediately, He does not throw them aside, but keeps them for the fulfillment at the proper time. The fulfilling of the prayer of intercession results in action by God moving in His sovereign power. That's from the Fire Bible. So, anybody have any questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. Right, right, right. Yes, ma'am. Uh huh. Yeah. 
Yes. I, I, I can identify. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And and that's the essence of an intercessory prayer is to exalt mercy against judgment. To, to move the natural course of things into something that is a supernatural course of God by an intercessory prayer, by touching heaven and causing heaven to move and do the things, the sovereign will of God in every situation by intercessory prayer. Y'all good? Okay. Y'all stand up while she's talking because... Go ahead. Right. Yes, an intercessory. 21 days he fasted. Amen. God hears an intercessory prayer. Stand with me tonight. I've, we've, we've gone way over. I hope you enjoyed this tonight as much as I enjoyed studying it. Hope I hope I was hope I did hope I got it right. If you have any questions, uh, I'll be available. If you have any questions, you know we're gonna talk about something. Maybe I confused you about something. But um, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to study Your Word. Thank you, Lord God, for opening up the concept of intercessory prayer to us, O oh God. And thank you for the many demonstrations, Lord, that You've given us tonight, Lord God, of what the value of an intercessory prayer, Lord God. Father God, we thank you, Almighty God. For the ability, Lord God, to pray without ceasing in prayers of adoration, prayers of communication, prayers of intercession. And Lord God, we just pray today, O oh God, that you would help us, O oh God, to continue, Lord God, to nurture our prayer life, Father. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to be involved in this, O oh God, and we just give you praise tonight. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you Sunday morning. We got anything? Is there anything meeting this Wednesday, Friday night? Everybody, I don't think so. Father's Day Sunday, don't forget, Father's Day.